darkness melting light brighter than the sun.
Well, that was, just in case you didn't know, that was Dwight Tribble, Haiku for Peace, um, mixed with Come Ye, the the spiritual. And, uh, yeah, it's been described as cosmic. And you are listening to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And we are just going to be wandering through the archives and playing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So I think we're going to play a little bit more of Dwight Tribble. We're going to play his uh, Little Africa. And then we're going to shift into an interview that I have with him. Oh, gosh, do I have to date? Nope, it's been a minute. But uh, Dwight Tribble is always on time, and you're going to enjoy the conversation. But here's Little Africa.
Mm-hmm. Nice, so, nice. And usually there's a guy um, that, that, that plays with us sometimes uh, with this particular band, uh, Miguel Atwood Ferguson, but mm-hmm. uh, he couldn't make this gig. He plays viola. But, mm, nice, yeah. viola. Ooh. But, uh, but <laughs> we'll, we'll be working with, with just a trio this time. But it'll, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be, uh, I, I, I think it's going to be very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. And I hope that people will, um, you know, will get their tickets mm-hmm. uh, to do it because, of course, you know, if if uh, you know if we don't get a lot of people there, then Yoshi won't bring us back. So we do want to come back as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, we definitely want you to come back because I was reading, um, you know, your bio, and I was looking at, you know, some of the ensembles that you've been um, instrumental and. Uh, Actually, director of um, like the Horace Taft Scott Pan African People's Orchestra. And I'm like, oh, that sounds great. When are y'all coming up here <laughs> as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. Now, see, so that that uh, you know, I, I I feel that a successful date uh, up there would facilitate something like that, bringing mm-hmm. bringing the the, the whole Pan African People's Orchestra up there. I mean, I think that would be great too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a very, very powerful group, you know, and the music is is strong and powerful, and there's nothing like it, you know. Mm-hmm. Nothing like it. Yeah, tell us about it. Well, uh, it was the creation of of Horace Tapscott, um, and this uh, I think last year was the 50th anniversary of this group. 50th. Uh, actually, wow. Yeah. 50th. Yeah the 50th anniversary of the group oh. and uh, you know I mean there's all sorts of people that's that's uh, come through the band mm-hmm. over the years you know such as Leon Thomas and mm. Arthur Blythe and uh, mm. um, you know I mean just uh, what's the guy's name that does the conduction now um, can't think of his name but he's he's become very popular in, uh, in a new style of, of, of conducting uh, jazz music mm. with big band but it's it's been something that uh, Horace has chosen to keep within the community, mm-hmm. something uh, with, within the African American community, and he dedicated his life to that. And uh, you know, some of the compositions uh, uh, that they play, written by various members throughout the years uh, uh, with the orchestra. And uh, I mean, you you just never it's 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 seen uh, a coming together of 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 uh, these great musicians because a lot of the beautiful musicians they 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 still come you know I mean all of the uh, uh, you know you're talking Kamal Daoud, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Azar Lawrence, um, Michael Session, um, you know I mean just all of the best of the best Kamasi Washington mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know so everybody has their own group individually mm-hmm. but we all come together uh, uh, periodically to be a part of this uh, Pan-African People's Orchestra and you know if you can imagine when you bring all of the powers together to uh, to play in a band like that it's it's really something to behold mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, wow. so we need to come up there because I know that Especially Oakland, uh, you know. I know that 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 it's something that we have great kinship in, you know, because mm-hmm. Oakland is is a place that's that's real, and looking for, you know, I mean, if if you come to Oakland, you know, you better be real. You know, <laughs> don't be, don't don't. We they don't they don't want no, uh, you know, somebody perpetrating. You better come <laughs> real if you're coming up there, you mm-hmm. know. So that's and I think that that's something that. 
that the orchestra and, mm-hmm. and Oakland has in common. So it, we really do need to be up there. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. And um, what songs did you compose that uh, became a standard for the, uh, the orchestra? Well, I didn't actually compose this song, but there is a song that's on Cosmic that mm. the orchestra ends every performance with and over all the years there's mm-hmm. this one song that we end the in the uh end the thing with and and so it's kind of you know down here it's kind of been known as 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 my signature song mm-hmm. because you know whenever the art plays you're going to hear me sing that one that song and it's called little africa ah yeah, so mm-hmm. so since I sang it so much and everybody here knows about all about the history of it, mm-hmm. I thought I should put it on the cosmic record. Yeah. And um and so that the people around the world can 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 hear it, you know, and mm-hmm. and uh, hear the the um, beauty and the message of the song. Yeah. So tell us about Little Africa. Who's the composer? Well, the composer was Linda Hill and Horace Tapscott. Mm-hmm. Linda Hill, she was uh, um, a composer and pianist, pianist with the orchestra mm-hmm. back in the uh, late 60s and 70s. Uh, she's passed away now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as is uh, Mr. Tapscott, too. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I was, uh, boy, I tell you, it seems like uh, so many of the the beautiful uh great mentors are just about all gone now and so what does that mean that mean that now we are the elders <laughs> yeah yeah it does it does certainly, it's, certainly. it's time you know i mean the, um, they were they blessed us and 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 groomed us so that we could groom somebody else Mm-hmm. And so that that uh, this whole thing could keep on moving. So you know, ready or not, here we are. Mm-hmm. All of them <laughs> are gone. Yeah. So they're living through the music and living through you. Yeah. Well, and yes, mm-hmm. and me and and some of the others. Right. Right. Yeah. I think about the world stage and your relationship with uh, Billy Higgins. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, Billy and Horace. I mean, they. You know, it seemed like all the time they were they they knew that they were not going to be here very much longer. So they 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 really uh, made it a mission within themselves to hmm. to get us together and to come to their houses and to and to just teach. You know, to talk, teach, hmm. and and uh, we did a lot of music. We played a lot of music, but we also had a lot of times where we just sat and and just talked, hmm. talked about life and talked about history and. Mm-hmm all of those kinds of things and so um you know we just figured that well hey you know we had a beautiful time and we're having a good time but we didn't know that they would be gone so soon Mm yeah 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 about uh, (laughs) black musicians you know sometimes we don't get to stay too long Mm -hmm. yeah that's true Just a second. Um, I don't know how to pause this. Yeah, so we were talking about, um, you know, some of these uh, now ancestors and the legacy that they have. Um, I call on them. I call on them every chance I get. Mm -hmm. Whenever 
there's something that uh, that I need help on. Mm-hmm. I, hey, Horace, come on, man, give me, <laughs> give me some help. Tell me what to do. What's mm-hmm. happening here? Yeah, so I, I call on call on them regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just um, you know, you've you've performed with some of the like some of such notables, and I'm just gonna just list a few of them. Some of them are ancestors, and some are still with us in this realm. Oscar Brown Jr. Yes, yeah, yes. shade to him. Um, Charles Lloyd, still trucking. Billy Charles, wonderful composer. I love his yes. work. Kenny Bur- uh, Burrell. Yes. Yeah, Kenny yes. Garrett, Steve Teray, Harold Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shade to him. Uh, Harry Belafonte, going strong. Della Reese, Norman Connors, John Beasley, Patrice Freshen, Babatunde Lee, who has brought you up. We've seen you with that group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, me and me and Bob Atundi, uh we're doing. Uh, I, I, he's, I know he was telling me he's working on a thing uh, mm. uh, about Paul Robeson. And oh, nice. We'll get a chance to uh, do that soon. Mm. Wow, that should be interesting. Yeah. Ah, wow. So you're gonna be singing some of Robeson's work? Yeah, and I, I also huh. have a project that I'm doing uh, right now. Mm-hmm. Um. You know of uh, the music of Oscar Brown Jr. Oh, for real. But yeah, but we have a we have a really really interesting twist to it. Hmm. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, a sort of a, a cosmic Oscar Brown Jr. show. Mm, that sounds interesting. <laughs> Cosmic's good. He I mean he's cosmic now. Yeah. I mean so totally I mean, cosmic. And, and and you know so we the music is a little bit more spaced out, but. Mm. Like Sun Rock kind of space? It, 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 it's somewhere between there and and, and Oscar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, and, and it's it's a, it's a beautiful show. So we're we've done it already uh, oh. twice, um, and we're looking to do a lot more of it uh, in uh, Black History Month. Nice, nice. I'm gonna have to just come on down to LA if you're not gonna be coming up this way. Well, I'm hoping maybe somebody up there might be interested in it. Oh, I'm sure a lot of people are interested in it. Yeah. That sounds really fantastic. Yeah. So John Beasley is a part of that group as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. And um, you've also um, collaborated with uh, Ernie Watts. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Khalil El Zabar, Khalil El Zabar. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to play with him uh, on uh, November 16th in Chicago. Oh, nice. Yeah, so... What's the occasion? He's got this thing um, where it's called Elevation, and Mm. um, he's he's bringing in about uh, 15 musicians and, uh, you know, of a progressive ilk, and and, uh, I I will be singing with them on that. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of an improvisational uh, program, hmm. but uh, I understand it's supposed to be a pretty big deal. Hmm. Uh, so it's November 16th, and I will be putting on my heavy coat. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah, and then um, you also um, uh, collaborated with contemporary soul artist L.A. Reed and uh, D.J. Rogers. Well, you know, when I was when I was a very young man, many many years ago. <laughs> uh, we had a group, an, uh, a group, and L.A. Reed was was the drummer of the group. Ah. This was before he became uh, famous with all the stuff that he's doing now, of course. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, 
know, I mean, we were young guys um, just trying to make some music and learn how to play the music. And uh, and this was uh, back in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was he was quite a great drummer at the time. Played uh, sort of in the style of Billy Cobham or Lenny White or somebody like that. Those were um, guys that he used to sort of emulate. And people don't really know that that you know that the guy was really a fabulous drummer. Mm-hmm. The, you know, so um, you know musically. Uh, he really knows what he's talking about, and and he was into a lot more progressive music, I guess, than he's doing now. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but the guy really was a drummer, and uh, the last time I did talk with him, which has been maybe 15 years ago, mm-hmm. he said that he would be content if he'd never played drums again. Mm. Oh wow! And I was like, man, really. Mm. <laughs> How does a musician feel that way? You know, especially you know at 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 your age. Mm-hmm. And I guess he's never played drums again. Wow. Huh. Wow. That's hmm, that's really something. Isn't that something? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, back to cosmic. Um, I was thinking when you, when I when you were talking about um, uh, some of the. Uh, I guess inspirations for the for the for the uh, the latest release. I was thinking about. I was at a retreat this past weekend, and someone was reflecting, was saying that we're all we're all pieces of stardust, you know, floating out there. And I'm like, oh, that sounds really pretty. Um, and and then um, Alonzo King, who is a wonderful choreographer, um, he he's celebrating his, I think. Um, 30th anniversary or something like that now. Um, he just closed his his um, Bay Area uh, premiere of, of new work, and it was called Constellations, and and it um, it was a collaboration with another artist who works in light, and so within the piece there were these these lit lanterns and people were like they were in the shape of balls and they were manipulating them and playing with them and dancing with them and it was really beautiful and 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 so it all looked like you know sort of stars and planets moving around you know and i was just thinking about you know sort of constellations and the cosmos and cosmic and um why don't you talk some more about you know some of the uh, pieces on on the uh on this latest uh cd and uh and and sort of how how you you sort of you know your vision and how it shifted or expanded or whatever from you know earlier pieces which you know you've got living water and you've got your self-titled CD and then of course Baba Tunde Lee's um uh, uh to away yeah the dedication to Leon Thomason Thomas mm-hmm. well you know the first of all I I I think of you know when I think about uh, cosmic I think of, of when I'm meditating Mm. and you know when you finally get that moment um, where everything comes together and you you surrender to it you can feel that you know the the the, the end and and the out and you know where everything is is completely out and it's also uh, uh, very much within you, and all of it is coming together, and 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 it's uh, the thing that that makes everything make sense, you know. And it 
all comes together at that moment and it, and just being in that that state of uh, of of bliss <clears throat> where where the whole universe is within you you know and to me that's where the the concept of 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 cosmic is mm-hmm. and so when i think about the music now and the direction that i want to go musically uh, I feel like that it's you know we we want to touch the whole universe with with this music you know and a lot of it is 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 extremely soulful um, some of it uh, might be construed as a little bit outside but all of it comes together to make something um, hopefully that's unique enough and that. Um, um, ultimately will not only entertain <clears throat> people but heal them mm-hmm. and 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 you know of course my whole mission has been to uh present a a, a message of peace and a message that that lets uh, us know that that we're all one mm-hmm. you know and we we have to you know truly respect each other's spirituality and humanity and that there is a creator that is in control. Mm-hmm. And I feel that <clears throat> this is what sort of drives me and motivates me and, and has kept me going, is to surrender, to meditate, and to just, you know, let the Spirit have its way in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that when 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 that happens, and I think about putting together and putting out a record, I want to give the people the very best that I know. The very best that I know is that we have to surrender to the Creator, because the Creator truly does have a master plan. Mhm. Yeah, I can hear you singing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. One of your your pieces um, that I have listened to, because I only had listened to two, and one of the others, the other one is "Speak to Us of Love." And uh, you say that I was inspired by uh, the text on love from Khalil Khalil Gibran, uh, Khalil Gibran's um, The Prophet, right. which a lot of people know. And I was wondering, um, and then um, I was wondering if a lot of your work is inspired by literature, because um, there there seems to be. Uh, texts connected to a lot of your work, and a lot of times these texts are works that we know really well. They're like a part of our collective consciousness, but maybe we haven't thought about it or called it often enough. So, you know, you, you know, do your interpretive work and 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 you know write these wonderful pieces that and and record it, so then we have a document where. Um, you know, we can play it often and think about these things often, as you say, you know, to, to sort of remind us ourselves of what it means to be human um, and how art is so important to that particular um, place that we go as people, as human beings. Yeah, well, I, I plan to, to um, uh, have a, a record that is a record full of um, material um words of wisdom, mm-hmm. uh, poetry by some of our great thinkers, and uh, the whole record will will be done that way. I, I didn't want to divulge it, but, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that is what 
of one of my next upcoming projects. Which, oh, nice, nice. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, Speak to Us of Love is really beautiful. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I and the thing is, is I had been doing that for a long time here, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I said, you know, it's time that people get a chance to, to, to see where that's coming from, mm-hmm. you know, and, and of course, I've always been a, a Cahill Gabron uh, fan for years, and uh, that was probably one of the first books that uh, I received when I was uh, 16 that, that mm. started me on the course of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. Who gave you the gift? Uh, a friend of uh, the girl that I was, the lady that I was seeing at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day he came, you know, I went to his house and he read it for me and I was just so jazzed by it and, and, mm-hmm. and he saw that 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 excitement in my eyes <laughs> when I was leaving his house. He said, here, take this. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's uh, been been with me a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And then I noticed that I haven't heard it, but I, I know the version of it, uh, one of the versions, I don't know your version, but the Ooh Child, I love that song. Things are going to get easier. Things are going to get better. Is that that? when they were putting it together or mm-hmm. something, but mm-hmm. uh, but 
you know, hmm. all of a sudden it happened, and and, huh. and and I got not one call about it. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I just knew you'd be right there in the mix. I thought I would have, too. When Once I heard about it and mm-hmm. saw it, I, yeah. I, I don't know how it, how it happened, but... Oh, huh, interesting. Anyway, wow. Yeah, cause, it was nice. Yeah, because Larry Clark, um, uh, director um, he, of the film Passing Through, which was... Um, 1977, um, and I thought when you were talking, and then I just had to check it to make sure I was correct, um, Horace Tapscott is featured uh, in that film with the Pan-African People's Jazz Orchestra performing in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then that made me think about you, because <laughs> you're the, you're the uh, director. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I mean, I'm the director of the vocals. Oh, the vocals. My, my oh, okay. Is the director of the or- orchestra. Who's the director of the orchestra? Michael Sessions. Michael Sessions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's yeah. The director of the orchestra. He's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful sax player. Mm-hmm. And in his own right, and he has his own group and stuff like that. But he is the director of the ARC, and and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, we've been keeping this thing going, you know, ever nice. since Horace's passing in, mm-hmm. in 1998. Yeah. And we've, we've been, uh, we've been, been rolling, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we, of course, you know, when you have a, a huge group like that, you, you know, you don't work that often. <laughs> How big is the group? Oh, I would say, all in all, I would say it's it's probably about 50 people. Oh, it's okay. It is. It is huge. Yeah, you nice, know, sometimes nice. um, as things go, you know, you scale it down mm-hmm. um, uh, as you as you can, and, mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes, uh, you know, the the, the group is. Um, I would say it's probably about twenty singers and about thirty musicians. So you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> nice. and sometimes you can't take everybody, but mm-hmm. you know, but uh, you you will. Uh, but but if we're in in full effect, it, you'll see about fifty people up there. Okay. Do you know the film Passing Through? Oh yeah, I've seen. Okay. It. Yeah, because I was thinking it would have been really cool to have you and um, Mr. Sessions and the orchestra um, there. You know, at the screening down there in UCLA, because um, they screened all these films and they had they had panels and round tables and they could have had a concert. Yeah, so that would have been I, really hot. Yeah, I, I, I think that was a, a um, big oversight on whoever put that together as part, because mm-hmm. it was a, it was a natural yeah. thing to do, mm-hmm. you know, because the art is actually functioning, you mm-hmm. know, and 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 they know it. Right, right, yeah, and and this film is about the power of music and the power of our music to tell our story and to move us from places, you know, where we were, you know, sort of like, um, like, for instance, if we're like sort of in in the Ma'afa or the Holocaust and burning to be able to, you know, go back and grab that, you know, whatever that was that we needed, you know, the Sankofa and then move forward, um, you know, you know, with everything we need, you know, in Ma'at. So it would have just been perfect, you know, because a lot of people, you know, that might have been their first time meeting, you know, the orchestra in the film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then to know that, you know, you all are still performing and you still exist, and that would have been, you know, sort of some audience development and some resources sharing and all that kind of good stuff. But it's not too late. At yeah. all, so you can get in touch with those folks. Yeah, right. <laughs> because-
because the, the films are they're, they're circulating because now you just closed here in Northern California at the Pacific Film Archive and Larry Clark you know he teaches at San Francisco State he you know he came out and he talked about the work and then right now um, uh, Zainabu uh, Irene Davis is making a film about the directors who came through uh, the LA um, uh, the UCLA uh, School of uh, Film and Television. Mm, yeah, great. yeah. So, um, so there, there's this stuff still has life. It does, and, mm-hmm. and you know, and there's a there's a beautiful movie, a, a, a documentary about Lamert Park too. Mm, what's it called? Uh, it's it's called uh, Lamert Park. Oh, really? Is it is it new? Uh, it's been around about five years. Okay. And, well, uh, mm. you know, I was in. Um, um, where were we at? Uh, in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. and we were playing at this uh, this uh, place called MC Theater. Mm-hmm. And right before we went to to play in in the cafe, they would, this film Lamert Park started playing. <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> and so, so that means that you know that people, uh, you know, all over the world have have this movie. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. and they hear about this area, Lamert Park, in, mm-hmm. in in Los Angeles. I'm sure you've probably been been there. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, My mother used to live walking distance from it. And uh, you know, it it it's uh, the the type of thing where, mm-hmm. you know, when black people are kind of in control of a certain area, you know, we we take it for granted sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, because we you know we forget about you know the the beauty and the greatness and 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 how this thing is is nourishing us mm-hmm. so sometimes we just kind of think that things will take care of themselves so so the Mert park has been kind of going through its changes mm-hmm. and uh finally somebody just uh, put the money together to um to remodel the vision theater and to get that back open oh good and so i think it's you know i can slowly see that the the Mert Park Village is is, mm-hmm. is on the slow upswing. Yeah, yeah. The film, um, uh, the Mert Park, the story of a village in South Central Los Angeles, or South Central LA, is um, directed by Jeanette Lindsay, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and it features interviews and performances with Kamal Daoud, who we've been speaking about, uh, Richard Fulton, Billy Higgins, Horace Tapscott, um, with um, Brian Bray, uh, Ben Caldwell, Nzinga Kamara, Michael Datcher, Dale Davis, Tim Lemar- Tim Lemert, John Otherbridge, Ramses, Dwight Twirbel, which is you, Lady Walk, Walker, Vereen, and you can buy the film. So I just went to LemertParkMovie.com and you can get it. Lemert is spelled L-E-L-E-I-M-E-R-T and then Park. Movie.com. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for telling me about that. I didn't know about this movie. Mm. It sounds good. Yeah, it, you know, I mean, it uh, it really um, it does a pretty concise way of, of, mm-hmm. of showing what's happening, what what has taken place there. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice, cool. Well, well, thank you. Wow, this has been really a great conversation, and uh, so you're going to be coming up on Sunday, um, and you're bringing your whole band, which is awesome. And uh, is, your, is it an 8 o'clock show or a 7.30 show or a 7 o'clock show? What time is it? The show starts at, at 7. Okay, 7. 
mm-hmm. know, and I just I know that sometimes it's difficult for people uh, from Oakland or you know sometimes to, to cross that bridge, but I really do hope that they will decide to 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 make that uh, trip over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that people will get their tickets early, you know, so that we can have a really decent house and 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 give the love and the presentation mm-hmm. uh, that 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 I would like to to see happen that day. And uh, you know, because I I miss uh, the Bay Area, and 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 I like I said, I haven't been there in uh, in in this year. Mm, yeah, so that's I, too long. Yeah. I just uh, you know I. I I've been missing it, and and I can't wait to get there. So I just hope that the people will show up and come. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They're having a screening, a uh, free screening of the Central Park um, Five um, over in San Francisco. So I'm thinking that people could just go see the film and then um, make it on over to um, to Yoshi's afterwards, because you can walk from the African American. Art and Culture Complex to Yoshi's in San Francisco. If you don't want to drive, it's and because there's more parking over at the African American Art and Culture Complex than necessarily on on Fillmore. Although you can find parking depending on what day it is, and Sunday might be one of those such days. Yeah. So people can make make a day of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope they will come, mm-hmm. and because yeah. uh, we certainly will be there. <laughs> Right, right, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for the lovely conversation, and um, it's been really great. And uh, I am going to be one of those people that's trying to make it over there from the East Bay, and I'm going to not try. I'm going to make it uh, so I can see you in one of your rare performances with your ensemble. Yes, indeed, and yeah. it would be a pleasure. I haven't seen you in a long time either. Yeah, it's been years. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, let's, uh, <laughs> we, will, we will have a reunion. Right, right, yeah. And, you know, once people get there, it's like, oh, I'm so happy I did it, you know. Mm-hmm. You just got to just do it. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So come on, y'all. Come right, on. <laughs> yeah. So safe travels. Are you flying up? Yes. Oh, good, good. All righty. Well, safe travels and looking forward to seeing you on Sunday, November 4th at 7 o'clock at Yoshi's in San Francisco. All right. Okay, you take good care. All right, peace. Peace and blessings. So that was Dwight. Tribble, and uh, I want to give you a couple of announcements. The Oakland International Film Festival kicked off yesterday. Well, actually kicked off on the 17th, and uh, it's virtual this year. And what's going to be happening with it is that there are going to be um, director conversations following most, if not all, of the films. And the film festival goes through... I think September 27th, and the um, the Doc San Francisco Documentary Film Festival SF Film Festival it continues through Sunday, and uh, and it's really great as well. So um, and uh, there might be some other film festivals happening, but I just wanted to let you know about the Oakland International Film Festival 18 kicked off on the 17th, and it continues through the 20th. Seventh, so you can go online 
and visit OIFF.org all the details. And I also wanted to let you know that we have we have had um a couple of folks uh, make their transitions um and uh one of them you probably are aware of is the uh Supreme Court Justice. Um yeah, she's been fighting cancer and um and uh yeah it finally had its way. Um uh Justice uh Ruth Bader Ginsburg um has made her transition. And then a really um phenomenal um journalist and historian made his transition and um let's see, I found that I was looking for my notes, um because I was just like so shocked that that he made his cat his his transition. Um but I wanna get his Stanley Crouch. Um yeah, Stanley Crouch just passed. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, um and I think uh I'm not sure if it was Stanley Crouch, um was it yesterday? Um let me see, let me get the date for you. Yeah, yeah, it was the 16th. Yeah, he made his transition. So um, and he's, also, um, he's also a poet. Yeah, his birthday um, is December 14th. So anyway, so I shade to both of their memories and to others uh, whose names we are not calling, but um, you might know and be aware of. I also wanted to let folks know about there are so many uh, radio plays and virtual play readings, and so there's one that's going to be closing this weekend, and it is um, Central Works, and the play is called Bystanders, Bystanders, and it's by Patricia Milton you know, the prolific uh, playwright. <laughs> and so to find out about bystanders, uh, it's, uh, like I said, you can listen to it through Sunday, the 20th. Um, you can visit centralworks.org, centralworks.org. And they also have a Facebook site, Central Works Theater with ER. So that's through the 20th. And then there's another play, Let's see. There's another play, um, Manatee on Mars by Tanya Schaefer. It's a new play about autism, and that's one reading only, September 26th. And that play is a part of, it's a, it's a remote theater and um, in collaboration with Playwrights Foundation. And the director is uh, Giovanni Rodriguez. And the playwright is Tanya Schaefer, and that's on Saturday, September 26th at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And it's a free event as well. You can go to the website for Remote Theater, I think. Um, Where should you go to find the information? (laughs) Yeah, 
um, go to the Remote Theater, <laughs> or or you can go to PlaywrightsFoundation.org. I think that'll work too. To find out to get the information on how you register for the play. Okay. So what I was thinking, I was thinking we would just sort of stay in the Southern California region. And so I'm going to play an interview with Billy Woodbury, um, who is the director of this classic Bless Their Little Hearts. And that was a part of the uh, um, this special series of, of work that um, highlighting the black directors that came out of UCLA. And uh, it's called the L.A. Rebellion. That was the series at PFA, which was, you know, transported to the, you know, to Berkeley from Los Angeles where they had all these panels and screenings and, you know, it's just like so wonderful. But anyway, I had an interview with um, Billy Woodbury, October 11th, 2012. And so I'm going to play that for you. Uh, So enjoy. Um, So I was wondering if you could tell us first, uh, Mr. Woodbury, about sort of the whole idea of what brought you into uh, filmmaking. Um, I I read that you're, you know, were born in Dallas, Texas. Were you raised there too? No, until I was 17, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So um, I just love the name of of the series um, that was in Los Angeles during the, um, uh, what was it called, Um, uh, the L.A. Standard, L.A. Rebellion, because actually I I was in Los Angeles and I I couldn't stay long enough to be able to catch in the films, and I'm so happy that it's on tour, not all of the films, but quite a few of them. And I just love the way... um, uh, the various directors, you all work on each other's films, and you're in some of the, each other's films, and you do the music, you know, one person's doing the music on somebody else's film, and then the next person's film, you know, you see them as cinematographers. So it's really cool. So why don't you talk about that whole image making that was sort of seemed really flourishing at the time you were um, at the, uh, in L.A. at the School of Film and Video. Um. Okay, where 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 to start? Um, I think what happened is, first of all, I I think that um, that I that uh, term or that that concept and idea was started by um, a scholar and a writer uh, named Clyde Taylor, who at the time lived in uh, the Bay Area and taught at Berkeley. Hmm. And he used to publish uh, reviews and uh, articles about film in different places, but one place was Black Collegian. Mm. And then uh, later in the 80s, he he did a presentation at the Whitney Museum in New York, and his this was uh, the concept and idea that he was uh, he came up with for his talk and to encapsulate his thinking about what happened in Los Angeles uh, during the 1970s and early 80s or whatever. And then he sort of uh, supposed, uh, he proposed that these films um, came out of the UCLA School of uh, Film and Television Mm -hmm. at the time 
from uh, young people that were studying in graduate school and undergraduate school at the University of California, Los Angeles. And uh, so then that concept got taken up, uh, that idea and that label got taken up by different uh, programmers, curators, and uh, other younger scholars started to investigate it and write about it and think about it and that kind of thing. And then finally, after years, uh, the UCLA Film and Television Archive was able to mount this big uh, exhibition, relatively large, 51 films or something like that, mm -hmm. yeah. at the uh, Hammer Museum over some months in the fall of last year. Mm -hmm. And now it's sort of touring around. Uh, myself, uh, what happened was, I suppose, um, after... The, in, in some ways, you know, I mean, the the 60s and all of that in um, the country and in the world was a kind of tumultuous time. And, uh, and also it's post the civil rights movement, the black consciousness movement, black power movement. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, an aftermath of that that we came to uh, study, film. And, uh, but the thing is, is that was a time, I think, of uh, great optimism and also unprecedented uh, opportunities and access for some younger people and others in the black community as a consequence of the, the, the uh, struggles of the civil rights movement and the black consciousness movement. Uh, in the United States, the social movements, wider social movements, the movements against the war in Vietnam and for social justice and that kind of thing. I think one consequence in the black, uh, among the black community or the black population or African-American later is the term, uh, is that there was a great optimism because uh, for the first time people were gaining access and experiences that were beyond what could have been imagined um, 10, 15, 20 years before. And I think uh, that optimism uh, encouraged people to widen their interest, their curiosity, and that kind of thing. Another thing that happened in the early 70s is there was a whole... I mean, there was a kind of popular, in the popular commercial uh, film world, uh, they started to take on uh, black subject matter, and they tried to respond to and ultimately, uh, you know, uh, exploit uh, for their own purposes some. Um, some of the you know, the presence of the, and, and the sort of new recognition and the sort of prevalence of black uh, cultural figures and cultural expression and new uh, sort of attitudes and new uh, ways of uh, self-representation and that kind of thing. And so movies started to come out during the this you know in this popular commercial movies 
that played in the big theaters and all the big in, uh, inner cities and urban places in the U.S. There were some unique and uh, singular uh, examples that also came about in the commercial and in the independent, what became the independent uh, film expression mm -hmm. as it grew and developed in the early 70s, and the late 60s. If you think about it, uh, people like uh, Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte, who had been uh, actors in movies since the 50s and that kind of thing, like Sidney Poitier started to direct films. Mm -hmm. His first film, uh, which I saw recently, actually watched the whole thing and found it uh, quite an admirable movie. And it touched on many of the themes that preoccupied even some of my peers. But I don't know that we would have recognized it as such at the time. Uh, that film, Buck and the Preacher. Oh, yeah, know? I like that film. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and as a matter of fact, one of our schoolmates, Pamela Jones, uh -huh. Who acts in the film in a number of the films, Ben Caldwell's film and Larry Clark's film? She acted in the movie. Okay, she plays a young woman who's taken hostage. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, we didn't really ask her much. She was also in another film that they made at the time, made by a former Blacklist director. I think it was Jules Desan. Uh, who ended up after, you know, going to Europe in the blacklist, and he ended up marrying uh, Melina Mercury, the uh, Greek actress, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, But he made a film called Uptight, which was a remake of a John Ford movie, you know, mm -hmm. with Raymond St. Jacques, and Pamela was also in that film. So, okay, that was going on. Then you had the initiative of people like Mr. Melvin Van Peebles, who came back from France after years uh, living in Europe, and he made a film at uh, Columbia, Warner Brothers, or one of them, uh, called Watermelon Man. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the same time, he built the... That was good, with God from Cambridge? Yeah, he built the conditions for himself to even strike out in a more original way and make a film uh, that probably wouldn't have been acceptable at the time in the studio system. But he made his own film. It's called uh, Sweet Sweet Back. You know? mm -hmm. So those films were coming out. Then Mr. Gordon Parks, he made the popular movie with a, you know, striking urban hero guy, you know, in cool mm -hmm. clothes and great soundtrack by Isaac Hayes, a chef movie, right? right? So those movies were around. Then Mr. Parks had made earlier his autobiographical film, The Learning Tree. Mm hmm those things. So people were doing that. The other thing for us, though, I think, and so, I mean, it was obvious and apparent that there was no um, sort of, it, it was possible for people of our um, type, our, our so-called race, we could do this. It was not a deficit that we had, right? And others, we learned later, right, about other examples and that kind of thing but at the time it seems possible to do things and i was not in the first group of these people uh people like charles burnett had already suspected that you could do it right and he had wanted to be a cameraman and he ended up in film school he did an undergraduate degree in film and then he did a 
masters in film and uh, Larry Clark, Haile Garima, and all those people ended up here at UCLA. So they were sort of first and second group. And then others of us uh, started to suspect maybe it's an interesting thing to try. It was not unique to us because since the 1950s, after the Second World War, since um, the time of the Italian neorealist people who impressed upon the world that you didn't need all the huge infrastructure and apparatus to make a film, you didn't really, it didn't really require that the people be professional, uh, that they be stars or that they be professional actors, you know that one could make a film without those things and one could maybe get closer to a certain kind of reality without them, right? So you had that example. Then you had the uh, exciting example of the French New Wave and all that followed throughout the world, right? In Japan and all India and all different places, you know, there was a change about change of foot in cinema uh, and we were, you know, so we sort of followed in the, in the wake of that. We followed in the wake of the new Latin American cinema, the new Cuban cinema, new African cinema, you know, mm-hmm. begun by uh, Usman Semben right. and Suleiman Sisse and uh, Omar Ganda and all of those people in Africa, you see. Mm-hmm. And very quickly, fortunately for us, we were able through some of the initiative of one faculty member here, Alicio Taylor, and then later one of our colleagues, but who became one of the leading thinkers and writers about this, Tashomi Gabriel. We pretty soon organized so that we had access to a lot of this new cinema that was coming from Asia, Africa, and Latin America. And that was very uh, inspiring and reassuring and uh, gave us permission to try something, you see. And then we discovered, because we had the privilege of being at film school, which had uh, enormous resources, you know, relatively speaking, compared to what we had access to before, Uh, but it also had um, the archives, the memory of the cinema, and we had courses on the history of cinema, and we had courses on the work of Charlie Chaplin and all these things. And so you could be in an environment where if you wanted to, you could be inundated and and uh, swim in, in images and film like, you know, for 12 hours a day, you know, without stop. And then, so I think that's part of what the time was like, right? And then there was the idea that, okay, if you make film, if you make a film, like film also has the possibility to be a work of, uh, a way to be involved in uh, political and social change and in, in the, you know, in cultural life, you see, and that you shouldn't neglect that. It's not mere sheer entertainment and distraction, you see. And we sort of bought into that in some ways. Then the people who were ahead of me, they also had the idea that, okay, what should happen is, okay, now we have access to this university education, and uh, there was the there was the attempt to uh, inculcate the value that, okay, but don't lose the link to the people who nourished you and what brings you here, and who in some ways made this opportunity possible and don't share in it. 
So how do we connect what we're learning, be it law or psychology or sociology or history or whatever? Like, how do we sustain and build the links and share this in the wider community, uh, black community, right? Mm -hmm. And so they organized initiatives like that, along with other young people in the arts who wanted to be actors, who wanted to have theater, who wanted to have dance, who wanted to have music, and that kind of thing. And so in doing that, they made links with the wider uh, black community in Los Angeles, you know, that nourished, fed, and uh, provided us, right, with people that we could work with who were in some ways on the same mission. And if you came to, like, I'm in a kind of second group of them, a third group, actually. And what happens is by the time I I came, uh, they had developed, uh, you know, quite a number of people, connections with a number of people, and people had acted in these student films. And then you had kind of built up a kind of company, a group of people that you could go to and appeal to them to appear in your film. They understood what you were asking them to do. They understood, you know, that in some ways you were beginning and they were apt to be uh, bored for long stretches while they were waiting, right, for to, for you to prepare the uh, scene or the action or whatever it was that you were doing. They, uh, you know, and they 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 were able to uh, uh, tolerate that, and they gave a lot to those films. So part of the story of those films is in what I'm expressing. I hope mm-hmm. uh, that that was sort of how it happened. Wow. Well, that was, I mean, it just seemed really marvelous that uh, you were able to step into um, this this, this particular um, environment that already had been established. I mean, you didn't have to set it up. I mean, it was already, it already existed. So um, the support was there for your, for artist, your artistic work. And I was wondering um, who was there uh, when you arrived? Because I was just sort of been going to all the films and, and I have like, I mean, I already knew Julie Dash's work and Holly Jarema's work and Charles Burnett's work. And, but I didn't know Larry Clark and Ben Caldwell. Oh my goodness. And Jim oh, Monica yeah. and Ali Sharon Larkin and Zanabu Irene Davis. I mean, Oh, my goodness. Well, a lot of those people you named, uh, uh, with the exception of the woman you named near the end, mm-hmm. they were here. Also, oh, really? uh, Jamal okay. Fanaka and others, they came. He, Ben, and a number of other people came after Hailey, Charlie, Larry, and those people. Mm-hmm. And But they were not so far, you know, apart in uh, age experience and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Sometimes they might be older, but they were just returning to, uh, uh, to school or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah. the others were ahead of you in the course. And it was, I, I can maybe, in, it, I, this is something that I'm noticing with storytelling. It's like you can oversimplify things and you can remove the complexities in order to have a kind of coherent narrative. And what's missed in that is that it was a process and it was a kind of struggle and you kind of had, okay, the conditions were there, but to actually uh, uh, realize them, Okay, you had to earn that, you had to contribute, you had to 
be involved. You had to seek it out. Mm-hmm. But they had, I, I want to acknowledge that because they had gone before and they had done it before, that in some ways it did exist. And in some ways, what I'm telling you is we recognize that in hindsight. Oh. And it's a matter of wanting to acknowledge it because if you don't, then you kind of can exaggerate uh, how clever you were and uh, things just kind of happen like that. But a lot of people gave up their Saturdays and their Sundays, mm-hmm. you know, who are not known or recognized until the films are seen. And then people go, wow, but it's like maybe too late, right, mm-hmm. in terms of them having any major benefit from it. So that's why I think it's important to acknowledge it. And then we share that those relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you had, if I had, if I inherited actors from Hailey, from Larry, and all of those people, which I did, then is, I'm kind of responsible to maintain and sustain that relationship so that a Lele can have access to the same person. Mm-hmm. If I ruin it, then my reputation in the community mm-hmm. is not so great, and also I let down on what I was given. That was sort of a kind of ethics that I think prevailed in that community, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like there was an initiation kind of process as well. Uh, with well, there's a kind of, well, there's an initiation, and Haile Garima used to say, don't talk of film, show a film. Mm-hmm. And also because you came into a situation where they were struggling and they had Maybe they they had gone through it and they knew what you had to do and sometimes they were your teaching assistant or whatever, and they kind of your initiation was to go ahead and do what you had signed on for, mm-hmm. and we'll help you and we'll support you, but you need to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think the maybe the, that uh, encouraged and and uh, made possible for more of us to do to complete that part of it than if that had been absent certainly mm-hmm. yeah yeah um i was just thinking um besides most of the films being really interdisciplinary i mean you know uh, the film that you've got the pocketbook which is going to i believe um screen with um yeah bless their little hearts um this thursday the 11th at pfa um it's based on you know, a Langston Hughes poem, and um, and and then secondly, I was just thinking about these films, which is what I love about them so much is that um, they're set in the community. I mean, we're in Compton, you know, we're in Watts, um, you know, we're in the black community, we're in people's homes, and and these people are people that we live with. Um, yeah. So it's just like wow, and but it's a movie. I mean, you know, it's like on a screen, and it's big, and it's. But it's yeah. it's familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that was part of the that was part of the the uh, the effort, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, Watts loomed large in the imagination of the you know the country and the world because of it. What happened in 1965, but also a lot of initiatives around culture were started in Watts, mm-hmm. and even sometimes we weren't fully aware of all the connections in history, but it had a kind of uh, meaning, you know, and, and a kind of uh, thing in our imagination and in the social and political world of the time, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
I think that's why, you know. If we had been in another place, maybe another place, right? But that was where the people were. Mm-hmm. And But they were... It, the films are actually a pretty good uh, mapping of the city and a kind of geography uh, that one is reminded of when you watch them. If you know the city, uh, how much of it they actually... Uh, represent or display you know mm-hmm. so that's one good thing about them actually in this man tom anderson's film los angeles plays itself mm. one reason he values them is because they show places and parts of the city that are sort of off the grid or outside the imagination of the tourist board and uh you know the the sort of romantic image or whatever that's you know, given to the world through Hollywood movies and TV shows, you know? Mm-hmm, yeah. So it was kind of a way to include them. And then we had colleagues who were Japanese-American, mm. Mexican-American, and others, right? We had a young Vietnamese woman. We had foreign students. They were a big part of our education from Iran and Egypt and all those, and Africa and all of that. They did a lot, a lot, a lot to... Uh, educate us to encourage us to you know and working together with them and the progressive uh white students at the school it was a radical kind of school and a good school it was a people's school so we had all of that and while this thing talks about la rebellion and sort of focus on this african-american group and community we all acknowledge and have said always publicly that it was broader and richer than that mm-hmm. not that that's not rich and broad in itself and central and important to understand in the country and the place and the whole in the culture mm-hmm. but we just acknowledge that because it's true and we're not sure that without those people who were part of our third world cinema club and all our debates and things you know mm-hmm. that the films would have been as rich as they are Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. And then it wasn't just specifically African-American either. It was, you know, Pan-African because you had students from the Caribbean and Afro-Caribbean and and Africa, like you already mentioned, and Europe and, you know, African people of African descent from throughout the diaspora were a part of, you know, these various uh, schools that, you know, um, you came in on the third wave, I believe you said, or the second wave. Yeah. Yeah. That's important because, but that's a part of the that was a part of the discourse and part of the culture mm-hmm. of the time you know the idea of the third world the idea of our connection to Africa to Latin America to all of those things you know it's part of the inheritance from people like Langston Hughes and from the Negritu people and from others yeah we were fortunate in that at that time in school, mm-hmm. you could uh, learn that you could you could you had courses, you had people, you had an interest in the wider world in that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed really holistic. And that was that, that was quite uh, that was rich, mm-hmm. and that was that was our reality, you know. Right. Yeah, and it, it certainly comes through, you know, through in the films that you know we've been. Uh, you know, able to to see um, and experience um, over the course of um, 
you know, since September through the end of this month, which is just really fabulous. Yes. What if you could talk a little bit about your relationship, you know, with um, Charles Burnett and, and your film um, Bless Their Little Hearts, which is is a classic, and, and there's a re- it's a restored print, so it's looking even better than it looked, you know, when it when it was last seen, um, you know, in this uh, current uh, edition of it. Uh-huh. Uh, no, he, he he's a good friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met him at school here, and uh, what happened was uh, we worked together at the end of that small film, the pocketbook film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he 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 helped me. Uh, he shot the latter part of the movie. So, uh, but he was around, and at the time he worked, so he only came in the evenings to edit his thesis film. So it was difficult to meet him. Eventually, I met him. We became friends, and over time, we spent a lot of time talking. And what happened was, it tended to happen because of personalities and different things. Uh, A lot of our sort of, uh, those figures like Larry Clark, uh, Hailey, Charles, Ben, and other people, you inherit that. position and responsibility toward the people that come after you. Some of us uh, do it better than, were able to do it better than others, but it it was a kind, they kind of, you sort of gravitated towards some who became uh, sort of like mentors without having, you know, official responsibility or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so some gravitated to Hailey, some gravitated to Charlie, some gravitated to Ben, some gravitated to Larry. And you might end up working with them directly. A lot of times, one thing you were encouraged to do when you come here is they say you only learn by working on films. So you work on uh, films of others, and also what you do is you build a kind of sweat equity so that you're known as a person who's reliable, responsible, and willing to work on others' films. So when you need help, they work on your films, right? Mm-hmm. So that was part of the, the you know, the, the responsibility and the relationships that existed. It happened that I became... Uh, uh, sort of close with him and uh, eventually we were talking and I was needing to make the thesis film and I had different ideas and I, you know, there were two expensive, ambitious and different things and eventually he told me, I have a story for you and you, we can do this without, you know, a great deal of money and but it would be a long film and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I will. I have the story, and yeah, I'll do the script, and we'll do that thing. So uh, that's how we came to uh, do that film together. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, huh. so it was. Um, it was a gift and a challenge, as mm-hmm. usual with these people, uh, because then you're obligated. If a friend gives you a gift like this, then you're obligated to try to fulfill on it or to treat it well and to, you know, to realize it, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that puts a that make that, that raises the stakes in a certain way. And you hope at the end of it that you don't uh, let them down. But that's also a motivation. So that's how we came to make that film. And um, 
that that's what happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because um, in 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 a note that I read, it says that uh, the family that. Um, but the same Los Angeles community depicted in Killer of Sheep, which I have seen, um, uh, is in your film, um, Bless Their Little Hearts. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what the story is and how close is that story, the story that um, Charles Burnett shared with you, to some of your ideas that you were um, thinking about um, as you were approaching your your master's thesis project? Oh, uh, what happened was... Uh, I think maybe what you read, okay, uh, well, it's similar to Killer of Sheep in some ways because what happens is there's a couple and a couple has children. Mm-hmm. And this couple uh, is played by a different actor, the husband, mm-hmm. but the wife is played by the same actress, okay. uh, Casey Moore. Mm-hmm. And the children who people confuse, they think they're Charles's children. <laughs> they're his nieces and nephews. And what happened was the two older ones are in Killer of Sheep, but they're much younger. And then the small, the little girl, Kim, their sister, she is new to the whole thing in the film. She's new. And she's a new, she was a new little sister also. Mm-hmm. So it was the first uh, film for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story is basically what uh, the story of a, a worker, uh, unskilled worker, a worker who might have had a factory job, and uh, his wife, who also is a worker, and their three children. And what happened is the the father is un- becomes unemployed. We don't know exactly why, but he's unemployed. When we meet him, mm-hmm. he's looking for work, and he's, uh, you know, going to unemployment office, and also he's picking up day jobs, you know? He's mm-hmm. picking up any work he can get and to contribute to the family. And, in fact, the family is largely being supported by the mother, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. and by the wife, uh, uh Casey Moore plays this role. Okay. Um, and the three children are school children, school-age children. The oldest girl, in some ways, is the one who takes care of the younger ones and takes care of preparing dinner and uh, managing the house until the mother and father are back in the house, you know? So it's about what happens to a, a family, what happens to a couple, what happens to the people involved under the strain and stress of long-term unemployment huh? and the, and the you know, uh, expulsion of these people from the labor force. Now, what was happening at the time leading up to the film was that a lot of the major uh, manufacturing uh, industries in Los Angeles area were releasing thousands and thousands and thousands of unskilled and semi-skilled workers, right? And that was a job that you could raise a family on. You could maybe get a modest house. You could pay your bills. You could send your kids to school, you know, and you could have some hope for the future. And so that was uh, given. That was reality in the city itself, right? And what was happening 
was being noted and taught in you know different ways but in in the black cinema and cinema there was not so much uh, talk about this and even among the schoolmates the particular charles was the one who had the closest links to that kind of situation but uh he's a poet and he was interested also that the other film killer she has a lot of uh history inside you know and uh this film i think it has some of the you know the links to all of that but at the same time it was taking on an issue that was sort of central but it's not simply topical it also has a kind of history uh behind these people who they are where they come from that kind of thing even if it's not telling you all of that it informs the tone the mood and that kind of thing right and i think that interests me for sure and also uh making a film about working class people to assert uh, the culture the values the you know the things of the black working class people in a creative way why well, it interests me that was my interest okay and uh so that way it was a way to make a film that was in part about that and in part in solidarity with people in that kind of situation you know that they're interesting they're valuable they're beautiful they you know they struggle they suffer they make mistakes and but also the struggle for a couple to maintain you know their relationship under the strain of the larger demands you know economic and familiar demands and all that kind of stuff raising your kids right mm-hmm. those very real things so i was lucky to to have such a story right and uh so that's how you know that's the part of it that interests me mhm right yeah um i was just thinking that i was wondering if perhaps um you know growing up in texas and coming to Los Angeles um you know there's there are a lot of um southerners that migrated to California for a variety of reasons and um and and the idea of employment um you know being able to take care of one's family is a theme that runs through quite a few of the films that are that are part of 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 the program LA Rebellion cuz i think about the film of um uh the one i saw last week um by Manona Wally um the gray area and it's about a man who i believe um just getting out of prison yeah. and and he was a member of the Black Panther party and he's trying to find a job and and it's sure. real different outside i think he'd been in prison for like 7 years yeah. um and and he couldn't find anything and then another film um that i saw maybe a week or so before that and um i think it might have been a woman director um it was about this young man who uh had graduated from high school and wanted to go to college and his mother was a domestic worker and she wanted him to get on with the factory yeah. and 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 he wanted to be an attorney yeah. and and then she just has an epiphany it's like no i'm not going to work when my son is graduating so she decides to go to his graduation and then she says no he's not going to be available you know to work in the factory 
he's he's going to college because she was just looking at how the um the woman she was working for was so proud of her son and his accomplishments and didn't know this woman at all you know her I internal that, life that's a film by Toriano Berry yeah. He's a, a younger one. He comes later. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there it is. Right, right. Yeah. Um, it's called um, Rich. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. That's uh, a charming film. It yeah. is. Mm -hmm, it was. And then Shipley Street is also really charming uh, as well. I mean, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you buy nice a Jacqueline movie. Frazier. Oh, uh, mm -hmm. it's a very nice film. Yeah. Oh. Well, they. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they may, you know. They they come a little later, but they oh, it's amazing how much um, life and how many of these issues they raise without being sort of uh, you know they're not just solely about those issues, but they're how people contend with life, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, they and, contend with uh, life, and then they and then they they overcome. I mean, yeah. they rise above it, which is so hopeful. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they overcome, but the reality is. Uh, if they stay in the struggle, you know, mm -hmm. that then that's that's its own uh, has its own value because you may not overcome in the short term, mm -hmm. but maybe the you know you set the conditions. You don't give up if you you mm -hmm. you hope you see. Right. Yeah. And then I just loved Emma May, um, <laughs> uh, Jamal um, Salika's film about this girl who you know came you know, from Mississippi yeah. and to Los Angeles and how she organized her friends. You know, the cause was, you know, well-intended, but, you know, the folks were, they didn't deserve all that, that honor. But, you know, organizing her friends to, to create a business and to um, raise money. Yeah. And, and then they did so well. And then, and then the, the, uh, uh, was it the, um, uh, the the racial paradigm, you know, shut them down because they yeah. were doing so well. I'm like, well, and then that is so true. I mean, back then and now too. Yeah, that that's one of my favorites of his films, mm -hmm. of all the films. But you know, uh, yeah. But I mean, you know, uh, Los Angeles is the the black community is a large part, a lot of it. You know, uh, have their origins in Louisiana and Texas, so mm -hmm. it's not so unusual. Mississippi is more unusual, but, you know, mm -hmm. they're here too. Arkansas people, but, you know, that's largely where that population comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. yeah. And then, and then, you know, that southern flavor is, it has, you know, the immigrants bring with them even generations later, a certain type of, of flavor and a certain type of values that are different than I those. Think, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think, the, you know, as the way that works is they are migrant people, so what happens is, uh, and partly that's the films that construct that. You have to value that to recognize and acknowledge it. And not all northern and western and urban people and also the generations who are born here, mm -hmm. they don't know that. In some ways, that's in Charles Burnett's films and in other films because uh, we sort of insist and we recognize it or we value it somehow. Not all the films have that. Mm -hmm. And that's cool because not all the people, uh, 
share that experience. You know, they they are there are people, young people who are born here. They don't know anything about that, and that can be good and that can be bad. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so <laughs> yeah. But we, you know, you talked about an inheritance, and I'm I'm from New Orleans, and yeah. my children are born here, and and so what I bring. Because I was raised here, so I don't, I mean, so it really is more intuitive than I actually bring something. Because my parents are the ones that instilled in me those values. So yes. so I have to instill those values in my children and, and, yes. and connect it up for them. Like, well, even if you don't know the people, <laughs> this is where it comes from. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. No, it's, it's rich. And uh, it's like how the tradition and what do you call it, um, Plus, you know, the new thing that they are confronted with, that kind of thing. It's something that people have to work out, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. It used to be more pronounced because the the way of transportation, communication, and all of that has been revolutionized. So everybody see the same shows, try to speak the same way, try to, mm-hmm. you know, move the same way. And if they don't go back and forth, and even if you go, you find the same thing, same music, same style, same everything, you know. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it belongs to an earlier period. Right, yeah. Part of the world is, you know, it's collapsing the time collapse in the time and the space so that you don't experience this difference so, so, so dramatically, you know. Mm-hmm, yeah. But people have to decide if there are things of value in that. The fortunate thing is when people in... Uh, I mean, it still exists to some extent, and it used to be more prevalent. And it was partly what we could learn from uh, the transition from traditional tradition to modernity mm-hmm. in other places, uh, in African films and in uh, films from other parts of the world where the tr- transition is more clear, you know. Mm-hmm. The, the distinctions still exist. And then you start to value and wonder about how to look at your own situation and if those things pertain, you know? So that was that's part of the richness of what film could do at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Now the challenges may be different or whatever. We have to figure it out, and the younger ones have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Right, so. yeah. But um, it's a good thing that everything is not homogenized. Yeah. <laughs> or pasteurized, even. Um, yeah. yeah, I noticed that, you know, you mentioned that, um, you know, you put in um, sort of um, um, cinema sweat equity um, so that, you know, when you wanted to call in, you know, the uh, the loans, not the loans, but call in, you know, look at, you know, sort of your, your bank account, you'd have something there on the books. And so um, I noticed that you are um, actually um, in the film that Charles Burnett um directed when it rains and that's going to be not this week the 11th but the 18th when you're back in Los Angeles <laughs> and um, I was wondering if you could talk about you know being uh, in front of the camera you know being an actor oh no that was fun because uh, and and I say I only do that for him other people ask me but I don't do it <laughs> uh, I, I'm not you know, I was never aspiring or interested in that. But with him, he asked us to do it, and it's very—it's uh, a very special thing because most of those people are friends, mm. and uh, they are friends 
that he he had he he got a commission to make this thing for French TV, and so he called. I mean, he told us, "Oh, I'm making this thing, and I think this is what we uh, this is what I'm doing, and so I want you to uh, I'll give you a role, and it's just as simple as that. I mean, Charlie Askew." And it's a chance to do it, and also other friends like John Rear, the guy who plays the guy who wants to propose to kill the guy, and all that. Mm-hmm. He's an old friend from school, so it, and it, so in some ways, it was like the old days, and it was our thing. I mean, he made that after uh, making uh, uh, the other films, uh, "To Sleep with Anger," and. Uh, Okay. And uh, what he was like a small project he made in between for French television, mm-hmm. and he came up with it. And yeah, for Charlie, yeah, no, no doubt you do it, <laughs> and it's fun. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, that's scary. So you don't think about it. You just you do what he asks you, mm-hmm. and you hope you do it okay. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and and um what are what are your films? What films have you made since um Bless Your Little Hearts and um Bless Their Little Hearts and I know you're um you know, you teach um at uh the UCLA School of Theater, Film and Television. I teach at California Institute of the Arts. Oh you do? I taught there for Tell like twenty five years. Oh, okay. So you know um Awadada Leo Smith. I know him very much. He's making a score for a film I'm trying to make. Oh, seriously? Yeah, I spoke right. to him um, last year about the um, the masterpiece, the opus he did for um, on um, the civil rights movement. Yeah. Yeah. Ten Freedom Summers. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know him well. Oh, wow. So and huh. so... Oh, what happened was, like a lot of us, I got, I was sort of interrupted in this filmmaking thing. I prepared another project that didn't happen. Let's leave it at that. So what happened mm-hmm. is then I had to, like, I had to get back to it. So what I did is I started making uh, things that I didn't have to ask anybody. I, I, I started to uh, make the small video projects. And then in 1990. What was it, 99 or something like that? A friend got a commission to make a work about the building of the Frank Gehry's uh, Disney Concert Hall. So for five years, I made this uh, video documentary kind of project about the building of that uh, concert hall, mm-hmm. which is a big, you know, uh, cultural symbol of the city and that kind of thing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so for five years, I, I made that, uh, made a work about that called The Architect, the Ants, and the Bees. Mm-hmm. So what it's really about is the people who actually, the workers who actually build the building. Mm-hmm. And you see them building the building from the hole in the ground all the way to the finish of it. You know, with ellipsis and all that in between. Mm-hmm. So then that we had an exhibition of that work and then I've been working on another documentary film uh, for some time. Hope to finish it next year. Mm-hmm. Is that the one that without a Leo Smith is doing the uh, the score for? Yeah, he will do some music for it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I guess you can't tell us what it is until you finish it? I shouldn't talk about it. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, hopefully we'll be in touch and you can let me know once you can talk about it. 
Yeah, for sure. That'd be awesome. I'm not being coy. I just really oh, no. shouldn't talk. Oh, well, no. Oh, no, yeah. I understand. I mean, no. I mean, yeah. I mean, I would have been surprised if you would have talked about it, but I always ask just in case. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, wow. Well, thank you so much um, okay, for this thank wonderful you. conversation. It was really lovely, and looking forward to meeting you tomorrow. Are okay. you Are you in um, the Bay Area, or are you flying up later on? I'm coming up tomorrow. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Well, have a safe journey. Thank you very much. Uh, you take good care. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.